Luke 12, verse 15. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. And then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and I will build greater. And there I will store all of my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will those things be which you have prepared? And so is he who lays up treasure for himself and not, and is not rich towards God. So, Father, we pray, bless the word of God to our hearts and these words to follow. We ask and pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's be seated. And Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's speaking to them about crucial truths uh, regarding life, faith, and ministry. He's just taught these incredible principles Uh, um, warnings that he lays before them about the leaven of the Pharisees, hypocrisy, the the futility and deception between in uh, external religion and legalism. He speaks to them about not fearing men but only fearing God, etc. And then out of the blue, there is someone who cries out of the crowd with a question. A completely random, unrelated question. And if you've ever been a teacher, you know what that's like. You're teaching and all of a sudden one of the students asks something that's completely (laughs) nothing to do with what you're saying. Or if you're a preacher or a pastor, maybe you experience that also. You're teaching some incredible truth and you, in Jesus' name, amen, and you're glowing with the love and conviction of the truth and the Holy Spirit and someone comes up and says something and you kind of think, were you even in the service? Right? And this is what happens here. Jesus has just taught these incredible truths and someone interrupts with a question from the crowd. So let's pick it up in verse 13. One of them from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He's concerned with the legacy of his father, his inheritance. Perhaps his brother is in the crowd or next to him. Hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It seems like his older brother wanted to keep it all and he wanted as much as he could get. So there is the bickering between these brothers about their inheritance. And Jesus answers them because often Jews would ask rabbis or teachers to try and help resolve these conflicts. So he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Jesus is not looking to address this little squabble between the brothers, brothers, but he goes to a much deeper spiritual issue. And Jesus always does that, doesn't he? He goes to the real heart issue. And his words are often so 
searching. So Jesus answers with a warning, verse 15, and he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness or, or greed. Well, with this man particularly, that was the issue as Jesus discerned and read this man's heart and answered accordingly. And he, he gives them this warning. And he says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. That makes sense, doesn't it? Life is more than what you have. Life is more than the money in your bank account or your house or your possessions. Jesus says it's more than that. And it is a trap. It is a a falsehood. It is not true that if I only had this and this and this, then my life will be okay and I will be satisfied from the inside out. You cannot find ultimate fulfillment in stuff. We are more than the physical flesh and blood and bones, but we are body, soul, and spirit. So he says, take heed. Hey, listen up. Give your attention. That's what the word means. Make sure you perceive and understood what is being said. Take heed. Beware, which is watch out and be on guard and do all that you can in your life to avoid this. Take heed and beware covetousness or avarice, an extreme greed for wealth or material things or the things that you don't have. And it's interesting, isn't it, that in the Ten Commandments, in the top ten out of all God's commandments is included, you shall not covet. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Shall we pause there for a moment? You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's servant or your neighbor's ox or donkey. And just to make sure he covers everything he says or anything that belongs to your neighbor. It seems that God knows a thing or two about fallen man. He understands that covetousness can lead to jealousy, to stealing, to adultery, to corruption, to embezzlement, and even murder. It's rooted to this covetous attitude that's found in the heart of fallen man, and it reveals this dark element to human nature, doesn't it? Desiring to have more than I have. Jesus is warning here, for this certainly for a Christian can lure us from the path of discipleship. So then he tells a parable, as he often does. And a parable is like a heavenly, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. There is a principle that should uh, address the heart here. So he says in verse 16, he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And that's good, isn't it? Here's a farmer and he's sowing and reaping and the ground is yielding plentifully and he's doing well. That's not a problem. Deuteronomy 8.18 says it's God who gives you the power to have wealth, to have a successful business or a, a farm or have money in the bank. That is not the problem. Notice it yielded plentifully. Verse 17, 
And he thought within himself, saying, the inner natural thinking perusings of man, we don't, it's not faith or prayer, he's not looking up, he is in himself thinking, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? And Jesus does not fault him for his plans, but it's the heart motive and desires here. He had enough, but he wanted more. And he wanted more, and he wanted more. It was greed or covetousness that was the issue. This is not like the contentment that we read about with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4. Let's look at that together. Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We should take note that he says, I have learned this. It was maybe a process in his life that he had learned that those things were not enough for him, that he didn't need to pursue that. That wasn't the goal of his life. But he found contentment in Christ. This contentment was not in the heart of the man in the parable. Back to the parable, verse 18. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all of my crops and my goods. Notice, I will, I will, I will in that verse. Notice, build greater. My crops, my barns, my goods. And I will build bigger. And then I will tear down those barns and build bigger. And then I will tear down on and on is the idea there. It was Jim Carrey, the actor, who said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that that is not the answer. I don't know if he has found the answer yet, but that's insightful. So what does this man say? Verse 19 I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and be merry. So first of all, he's greedy. Secondly, we could take from this that he is selfish. There is no word here of others. We read the word my and I 12 times in these three sentences. He is pleasure-seeking to eat, drink, and be merry and take his ease, enjoying the pleasures of life, and that is it. But there is something missing. Years ago, uh, actually with, with the youth sometimes, we, we do what's called sketchboard. We, we do a picture and it has an evangelical purpose and we tell a story. And one of those stories was about this grandfather and he's speaking to his grandson and he says, to, he says, uh, uh, what are you going to do? Uh, you know, what, what's on the horizon for you? He says, well, you know, I'm going to you know, finish school and then I'm going to go to college. And he says, and then? Well, then I'm going to go to university and study and get qualification. And then? Well, then I'm going to go out and get a, a job, a well-paying job. I'm going to have a career. And then? Well, uh, then I'm going to buy a house, big house. You know, all the, you know then I'm going to buy a car. Yeah, that's it. And then? 
well, then I'm going to you know, have a wife and a family and kids. And then, and the, the kids starting to get a bit frustrated, well, I don't know, then I'm going to get older and enjoy what I've you know, had. I mean, and then, well, granddad, and then I'm going to die. And then? And that's the problem with this man is that he was short-sighted. He could not see beyond the grave. He could not see beyond the clouds. He was thinking about his, his timeline and his temporal life. And there was more, more to us than that. So God said to him in the next verse, God said to him, fool. Fool. He is greedy. He is selfish. And God calls him foolish. He's a fool because he did not have many years. He did not have decades left. God says that very night, the night of his boasting and his security, that very night, God says, your soul will be required of you. And then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And that's the emphasis there, for yourself. The rich man's folly was in what he failed to consider. That we take nothing with us. Um, as the old saying goes, you never see a U-Haul delivery van following a hearse. You don't take anything with you when you go. James 4.13 gives us some insight. In the book of James, it says, Come now, you who say, Tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. We will spend a year there, buy and sell and make profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. And again, the, the issue is not with planning and having dreams and having desires, but, but it, we, we, we are called to more than that, that we are to look up, that God should be a part of our life and our worldview and our thinking and our plans, our prayerful plans that are submitted ultimately to him if the Lord wills. Now, Jesus, after the parable, makes an application. Let's go there, verse 21. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich with God. Isn't that interesting, that phrase? He introduces a new idea, a new phrase, that you can be rich with God. And this man enriches himself but has no treasure in heaven. He has made no eternal investment. Matthew's account says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Manny Pacquiao, who many will know is one of the most famous boxers that ever lived, said, my life was empty even though I had so much money and could do whatever I wanted. 
So I went to the middle of the forest and kneeling down, crying, I asked for forgiveness. And the Lord filled my heart and changed my heart. In Ephesians 1.18, Paul's great prayer for the Philippian believers, if he could pray something for them, this was included in his prayer, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling what, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And one other passage to look to is found in Timothy. Paul writes to Timothy, And he says in chapter 6, verse 6, that godliness with contentment is great gain. Now let's pause there for a moment. Covetousness and contentment. Covetousness, that that no matter how much I have, I am not satisfied. I am looking for more and more and more to qualify, to satisfy, to meet my needs, etc. And then contentment. It's okay. I am full. I'm satisfied. I am content. And that contentment is not connected to what I have or I don't have. It's connected to God. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. Verse 8, and having food and clothing, and with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10, for the love of money, and there it is. This is perhaps one of the most misquoted verses in the world where they say money is the root of evil. That's not what it says. It's the love of money. It isn't a problem having money. It isn't a problem being rich or wealthy. That's not an issue. God may give and even bless and prosper someone that way. But it's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And then he says to Timothy, but you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness, etc. And then he tells Timothy, this younger pastor, how he should teach people uh, in the church according to this, down in verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in their wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Okay, so again, it's not a problem being rich, having money, etc., but we don't put our hope in that, as it says, because that is so uncertain. But we put our hope in God, who richly provides for us, and notice the phrase, with everything for our enjoyment. It's also not a problem to enjoy the blessings and the benefits and the material things in life. That's okay. But those things are not my God. They're not my purpose. And I don't put my hope in them. I hope you hear the balance. There's nothing wrong with enjoying those things, having those things. But but if I'm consumed with them, and I am consumed with the love of money that will not satisfy, then that's a problem. Dion Sanders, who is a professional 
NFL player, we wouldn't know, but one of the most famous. He wrote his biography called Power, Money, and Sex, How Money, Power, and Sex, How Success Almost Ruined My Life. That's the name of his biography. And he was asked how he became a Christian. And he said, it was the night we won the Super Bowl. I had so much. I just ordered a Lamborghini, and I was still so empty. And I got on my knees and opened my heart to Jesus. Paul goes on in the next verse, command those that are rich there. And then he says, command them to do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age as they take hold of eternal life. So this warning is laid at the heart of every man, every woman, every teenager, every child, that this which is often put forth to us in this world system as, what, as, as the very thing that our life's pursuit should be is pursuing material things and wealth and fame and power, etc. And Jesus cuts right to the heart of that and says, it is not enough, for you were made for God. You are body, soul, and spirit. And you can have all of those things and be still so hungry. You can have all of those things and be still so thirsty. But oh, if you find God, then if you have those things or don't have those things, you can find contentment on a much deeper level from the inside out. Jack Higgins, who is a best-selling author, he wrote The Eagle Has Landed and 70 books and 11 different movies. He was asked, what do I now know that I wish I knew before? That when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Nicole Kidman, winning an Oscar made me realize how my life was so empty. Julianne Moore, the longer you live the Hollywood lifestyle, the more empty you become. Remember those verses in Isaiah 52. Why do you spend money for what, that which is not bread and your wages for that which does not satisfy? And then he gives the remedy. Listen. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance, or the King James says, in fatness. Maybe we don't want fatness in the other area, but in the soul, fatness of the soul. Incline your ear, come to me and hear and your soul shall live. And then we'll finish up here with the last of the passage. So Jesus has warned against hypocrisy. We covered that last week. He warns against covetousness. And now he warns against worry. He says to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Life is more than the material, in other words. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn. God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? 
And that is comforting and encouraging to us, knowing that our God, our Father, who knows what we need, will provide for us. And also that there is no help or remedy in worrying about those things anyway. Sadly, man spends so much time worrying about things, most of which will never happen. And the worrying, not only can it not fix the problem, but it can have such a negative effect on, on us and our health, etc. That's why in Philippians 4, 6, it says, do not worry, but pray. Because praying can fix the problem. Worrying does not have any fruit, but praying. Turn your anxiety into prayer and God will provide and give you peace in your situation. Verse 25. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature or one year to his life? Worry takes time, effort, stresses me out, and it cannot change anything. It's better to pray and to trust God. He says, verse 26, if you then are not able to do the least, in other words, by worrying you can't fix the little things, how much more can you not change the the greater things? He goes on, consider the lilies and how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God then so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 29. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink or have an anxious mind. Now, we don't need to balance this, but we will. Of course, this does. Of course, we know in other places in the scriptures it teaches that a man should work, a man should provide for his family. Of course, uh, you know, that, that's not what's being said here. But it's not, we are not seeking that in the all consuming sense of that is my ultimate purpose in life. Verse 31, and here is the qualifier. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Now notice, there's a promise here, but it's conditional. Someone might say, really, does God provide everything? Well, this is, notice what it says. Seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. In Matthew's account, in 6.33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God. It's an issue of priority. What I put in my heart seeking, what do I seek first? It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. It's about priorities. Listen, we were made for this world, for this life. We are, we are body, soul, and spirit. God has given us personal desires and uh, things that some like and others don't. We are very personal as we navigate our world. And things are given to us for our enjoyment, and, and uh, etc. But we were made for more than that. So he says in verse 32, do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you seek the kingdom, it is God's good pleasure to give it to you and that's so wonderful and comforting, reassuring, knowing that that which we seek, he has already said that it is his pleasure to give it. 
And he says, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. And he closes with this phrase, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Perhaps the beauty in a man's life is not in what he has, but in what he gives. You can't be more like God than being gracious. Give of your life, of your time, of your heart, of your words. And God will honor and bless that. And of course, we need to be wise and ask for God's leading in that. And that's between us and God. But if we do that with the right motive and the right heart, these verses say that there is an investment that is made that will pay dividends in eternity. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. So we, let's close with prayer and we'll lay that to heart. So Father, we thank you this morning for being able to consider these verses together. To be able to consider the true purpose and calling that we have in life. That we are made for more than just this world, more than just this life, more than physical, material things, although they are a blessing which you often add and give us for a provision for our life. All but help us see beyond, beyond those things and even beyond the grave that we could look to you, we could look to heaven, we could understand and confess even in our heart right now our need for you. And we ask and pray that together and personally, that you would provide for us as we would seek you first, that you would add these things to us, that you would deliver us from greed or selfishness or worry or anxiety, but you would give us peace in our heart, peace that governs, knowing that we know you and you are our provider and our guide, that you are a faithful God. And we thank you and praise you and glorify you for that even in this moment in our hearts. You have been faithful. And we thank you that in a, we, we greatly value our, our walk with you and knowing you personally. Perhaps there is someone here, even here this morning or listening online, and you are not sure of your salvation, of your relationship with God. Oh, and here it begins. If you put your faith in Jesus, in your heart, you say, oh, oh God, I, I look to you by faith today. I, I, I do believe that my life is more than the physical, more than the possessions in this life. I, I, I know that I have more need than that, and I look to you, God. I ask you to come and fill my life. Give me a sense of purpose. Give me that contentment that the scriptures speak about as I put my faith in Jesus as my personal savior. We pray for each one. Bless us as we navigate in our stewardship, as we make decisions in our prayer life, in our ministry, in our families. Please help us and guide us and bless these thoughts to our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our and our bodies, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.